Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us and kindle in us the fire of your love. Amen. Thirty years ago, a woman I knew well struggled along with her husband to care for a 20-year-old stepson who had been an intimate part of her life for half of his life. He had by then hospital, been hospitalized for several weeks with a depression and psychosis so profound and unresponsive to medication that they had been advised to place him in the state hospital. They had been told he would likely never recover, likely never hold a job and, or be capable of living on his own. But the psychotic break had come suddenly, and they could not yet reconcile that grim future with the teenager who had been so full of mischief and joy. And so when the hospital insurance coverage ran out, they brought him home. He was not able to converse or to care for himself, and so every morning and all day long they would see that his teeth were brushed and his medications were taken. They would set out meals even though they were often left untouched. His affect was flat. He was not well enough, they were told, to cry or even to be sad. The home environment would have to be kept quiet and peaceful. The stress of that wasn't so much that it was hard as that it was constant. The doctors warned the parents of only one thing. They must never, ever lose their temper with him. He, he was simply too fragile. Weeks and months went by like this until one day the mother did lose her temper and raised her voice. She erupted with frustration and anger. And then in horror, she watched as he seemed to shrivel before her eyes, curling, curling in on himself like a leaf withering on a dead vine. It seemed to her as if he was leaving his body, withdrawing to a place beyond her reach, beyond any possible return. She wanted desperately to call 911, but she knew an ambulance would only take him away, and he was already leaving. She wanted to pray, but who was she, after what she had just done, who was she to call upon God? And yet there was nothing else to do and no one else to call. God would just have to deal with her later. What was needed now was too urgent, and she was the only one in the room with voice, with any capacity to act. And so she cried out, do something, please do something. And without knowing why or what would happen, she got up and went to the young man and scooped him into her lap and held his limp head in her arms. And there she waited 
for God to act. After a time, she heard a voice, her voice, whisper, I have loved you always. Words which puzzled her because they sounded more true than she could ever have meant. Being a step-parent, being a parent, is sometimes complicated, and while love had grown, it had not been there always. And then after a period of quiet, she heard her voice say, I was there when you were born which was absurd in her mind. He had been in grade school when she first met him, but somehow this too was said with authority. By the time she heard her voice say, I will never leave you, or you are made for love, she realized that her voice carried a divine message for the boy. She was in those few moments, a prophet and a God-bearer, and this, this was an annunciation. The boy suddenly gasped, as if rising from the waters of a just-sunk ship, a breath not unlike the first breath of a newborn. And he began to move, to cry, and eventually to heal. He thrives now with a family of his own, but the story is less about what happened to him. He has only a vague memory at all of that time than it is about his mother, who cannot forget. She's no better a person than she ever was, but she does not forget what it was like to be pregnant, if only briefly, with a love almost too great to bear and to be visited by the promise that impossible things could happen. She cannot shake the feeling that God is always entering into ordinary human flesh, urgently forgiving, fiercely tender, whispering words that heal and closing the gap between all that is and all that shall be. In our gospel story, Mary was too young to have been accomplished. She is not remembered for her beauty or talent or strength or intellect or kindness. Mary is remembered because she said yes to an impossible thing. Because she trusted in a reality more true than the one that told her she was too young, too insecure as an unmarried woman to bear the life God would have for her. And in saying yes to God, a prophetic reality quickened within her, even though all around her then, as around us even now, seemed otherwise she could proclaim with authority that God had scattered the proud and the mighty and had lifted up the lowly and filled the hungry with good things, that God had already accomplished what God had promised. She understood that she had been favored and blessed not with the promise that her life would be easy, without sorrow, disappointment, and hardship. It wasn't. 
but that God was with her in the midst of it all. Every Advent season, we celebrate that the God we anticipate at Christmas is already among us in the dark, scary, uncertain times, mess of our world, and that the same God will continue to come again and again. God does not wait until the world is perfected or at peace. God does not wait for our anger to pass or for our guilty consciences to be assuaged. God does not wait for the messes to be tidied up or for us to get our act together. God does not wait for Christmas lights and yuletide cheer. God makes a home in the messiest of places, a stable, in the messiest of times, under a foreign occupation, with the most ordinary of people, a teenage girl and her fiancé and a few ragged shepherds on a hill. Jesus is born where God is needed most, in the messes in the hard places, in the dark and desperate places, in the lonely and lost places. God comes in the midst of pandemic and pain, isolation and quarantine, global warming and cyber attacks. God comes when a fragile young man is pushed over the edge by a natural human impulse of an imperfect woman. Advent is the season when we should anticipate and wonder at God's coming, even or especially at those times, as with Mary, as with Elizabeth, and as with my friend, when it makes no sense. We might think of Advent as the irrational season, as Madeleine Lengel has called it in her poem, After the Annunciation. This is the irrational season, when love blooms bright and wild. Had Mary been filled with reason, there'd have been no room for the child. Mary, her barren cousin Elizabeth, and my friend were not favored because of who they were, what they had done or had not done. Rather, they were blessed because it is the nature of God to favor, to be merciful, to be among us, to desire to take on flesh and blood in every age and at all times, to live and die as one of us, that we and all creation might be reconciled, made whole, that we, along with Christ, might bear a light in the darkness and incarnate God's miraculous love. Advent reminds us that along with Mary, we should expect nothing less for with God all things are possible. We have only to dare to say yes 
to find that it is still and always shall be true. Amen. <laughs>